Hello, hello. Welcome to another World Cup group stage preview. Today, Adrian, we're going to do Group H. I am going to be one of your co-hosts, Filippo Silva, and I'm joined here by Adrian Sosa. Adrian, you're probably the best one to talk about Portugal, so that's why we picked Group H here. And I'm probably the best one in this podcast to talk about Uruguay. But before we even start, how are we doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Looking forward to look at the uh, the group of the group of heat, Group H. Not the group uh, of death. Not well. I don't know. I think that Spain Germany one is kind of deadly looking, and then also Brazil's group is pretty difficult as well. But we'll get to that at a, at another time, of course. But yes, I'm looking forward to this. Talking about Portugal always gives me heartburn, but that's okay. You know, I'll I'll, I'll get through it for the people. It's my duty. Yeah, I think what's fascinating about this specific World Cup, if you go back to past editions, even further, right? Don't go to the 2010s. There's no crap group, right? We've seen past editions where there were weak groups or groups were at the gap, but like none of the groups look like they're easy anymore because it seems like the game has grown so much globally. There's just a better abundance or amount of quality players, scouting, coaching everything has improved um obviously there's a gap still between the top teams middle teams and and lower tier teams but there and this is group is a perfect example of that right so group h portugal ghana south korea and uruguay why don't we start with portugal in in regards to portugal why don't we start with the million dollar question Hmm. are they contenders and should they bench cristiano ronaldo so the first question, I guess these kind of go hand in hand in some ways, because I think that the first thing to talk about Portugal is their manager, Fernando Santos, who just clearly is not the man to lead Portugal anymore. Back in Euro 2016, when it made sense, because Portugal did not have the talent that they do at their disposal now, Fernando Santos made sense at that time. But now it's like it's like giving a, uh, I don't know, it's like giving a, a, a bricklayer a Ferrari or something like that and telling him to go win a race, you know, like he just doesn't know how to use the tools. At well, we're giving me a Ferrari and, you know, just, I would probably just sell it, but that's a different discussion. <laughs> yeah. And then cash out. That's, I mean, that's a different sort of business minded answer to it. But I think uh, with Fernando Santos, the way that he wants to play, you know, it's sort of become an ongoing meme that he always wants to play a double pivot, no matter the opposition. He has kind of gone away with that because he got a lot of heat following this qualifying cycle. Portugal, of course, playing at home, all they needed was a draw against Serbia at home at the Estadio de Luz in Lisboa. And of course, they lose to Serbia. And Serbia takes the top spot in the group, which always seems to be the case with Fernando Santos. If all the team needs is a draw, that man is playing for a draw. He's setting up for a draw. Same thing happened in the UEFA Nations League this past time against Spain. And then Spain gets a winner right at the death. And of course, Portugal doesn't make it in first to go to the final four of the UEFA Nations League. Not a big deal. Nations League isn't the most prestigious tournament anyway. But that seems to be the case with Fernando Santos. And another big dark mark against him is his performance in major tournaments. He's benefit from these sort of, you know, in the Euros, they have the best third place teams going through. Right, Filippo? Mm -hmm. He can't have that in the World Cup anymore. And this record that he has of only winning three matches in regulation time in major tournaments is insane. So what I mean by that is he has only won three matches before 90 minutes in major tournaments. And he's played in three of them. And funnily enough, he's won one of those tournaments, (laughs) which was Euro 2016. So it's just very, very underwhelming. And he always will get to point to that trophy 
of Euro 2016 and say, look, I can hang my hat on this. I did something that's never been done for Portugal, but it just doesn't make sense anymore. Like I said, the context of Portugal is very different. So I don't think that they are contenders in this moment. I think that the realistic expectation for Portugal is to make it to maybe the quarterfinals. But even in saying that, if they were to finish in, let's say if they finish in second behind Uruguay, they're probably playing Brazil in the round of 16. And I don't know how well that will go for Portugal. They would have to go full on Portuguese bunker ball, you know, like all the, uh, like a bell has done for Palmeiras in South America. <laughs> like yeah, so it worked Portugal. there though. It, worked it did there. work there. It does work, but I don't know that it's, I don't know that it works anymore. There are some major injuries for Portugal as well, as far as the attack, which kind Jota of answers. Now, right? Jota Sorry. Jota, Jota, Jota looks like he's out. Um, and then there's also, Pedro Neto, who's out. I don't know if he would have been a starter anyway. Um, but to kind of answer your second question about Cristiano Ronaldo and should he start, I think that he will end up starting because of these injuries and because there's so many players that are kind of out of form for Portugal. João Felix is not really playing that much at Atletico. That's a really bad situation for him. Rafa, who's doing incredibly well at Benfica, he actually retired from the Portuguese national team during the last uh, international window. So it's kind of a question mark as to why that happened. If there's something going on behind the scenes, we don't really know. The guy's only 29 years old and he's sort of, he's out. So things aren't looking great for Portugal in the attack. And I think that Cristiano Ronaldo will be starting, but Filippo, I fall into the camp of him not really being good enough in this moment to start for Portugal, assuming that everyone was healthy and that everyone wasn't retired in Rafa's case, and that everyone was in form. Simply because we've seen him recently play, and he just looks a step off. His touch isn't as good as it used to be, where it used to be one touch and then a strike. It's now one or two touches, and then the defender will sort of close him down. His finishing has been wayward for Manchester United. It takes maybe four or five attempts for him to get a goal, something like that. It's just, he's not as good as he used to be, and that's looking past the fact that whenever he plays, it becomes... Ronaldo ball. It becomes this gravitational pull where everyone just sort of defaults to playing the ball to Ronaldo, Ronaldo, Ronaldo. Whereas when he's not on the pitch, you see more of a team game come into play and you're passing based on who the best option is rather than where's Ronaldo. Um, and look, I like to put it this way for some people who don't really understand what I'm saying about Ronaldo. In the Super League, hang with me here, in the Super League, people don't like it because even though teams like Barcelona and Juve and Atletico would do poorly, they would still always be in there simply based on who they are as a club and their history. I don't think you can do that with players. And a lot of people wouldn't want to do that with players about, you know, just starting a player who was a former great, one of the best to ever play the game. He gets in there just based on who he used to be. And I don't think that you can do that with Cristiano Ronaldo. Now it's probably going to play out that in this tournament, he will play a lot and he will be one of the more inform Portuguese attackers but yeah had things gone a little bit differently in the last couple months with Jota etc and players being in better form I don't think that I would have started him myself yeah a couple things here first to me Cristiano has to be a super sub for Portugal in this World Cup uh, because I think there's better options simple as that if there weren't better options I have no problem starting him he's still one of the best center forwards of all or forwards right he's played as a winger in the past too yeah but what fascinated me of what you said was you talked about how Portugal would have to play bunker ball. But when you look at this team, the players they have, it doesn't make sense, right? 
you look at Portugal, they can easily play a 4-3-2-1, maybe. Put Rafael Leão as the center forward and have Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes play behind them, creating. Uh, it doesn't add up to me that they would play bunker ball. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Now, when you look at other options they have, you can also go and just play a 4-3-3 and have Rafael Leão on the left wing as an inverted winger, Bernardo Silva as a right winger, as an inverted winger, and maybe João Félix can play as a false nine and they can pinch inside and it becomes like a 4-4-2 diamond at times. You have players in the midfield like Vitinha, Mateus Nunes. I just... And you have fullbacks like João Cancelo that can really provide a lot going forward. Um, Nuno Mendes, right? Uh, midfielder Ruben Neves. I mean, you look at the options that Portugal has... You can't convince me that playing bunker ball is the way for this team. NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, and more. With bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum agent eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of tactical yanks, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to? Because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycons Everyday Earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Raycon earbuds have three sound profiles so you can have a personalized listening experience, as well as an awareness mode where you can hear the world around you. Whether you're doing the most intense exercise or just sitting around, Raycon earbuds are perfect for you. Go to buyraycon.com slash tbpn today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash tbpn to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash tbpn. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the thing, Filippo, is that none of us can understand why Fernando Santos wants to play that way. And all of us are kind of pulling our hair out and we're going to look like Pep Guardiola soon. I, I mean, that's why people don't want Fernando Santos at the helm anymore. Because like I said, at Euro 2016, when we were playing with, you know, guys like Adrian Silva, et cetera, et cetera, it was sort of the banter era of Portugal at that time. But we don't have to play like that anymore. All of the players that you mentioned, we could have a much more proactive approach to the game instead of being reactive and on the back foot all the time. But it just doesn't play out like that because that's not Fernando Santos' style. And I guess he can always point to the fact that he's won a tournament playing in this style before, even though it's ugly and even though it failed him in the World Cup of 2018 and in Euro 2020. That was also well, he also not got great lucky either. that year, right? 
He did, absolutely. Like I said, he's he's barely won matches in regulation time in that first 90 minutes at major tournaments. He's also relied on the third place aspect in that tournament. So I don't know. I'm I'm always down on on Fernando Santos right now. I think that some of the players you mentioned, like Rafael Leong, I hope that he gets the minutes that he deserves because he's been fantastic. He was the best player in Serie A last season. He's off to a great start, already a better start than last season. Um, he, it looks like he's going to break his record again as far as goals and assists. Will he get the minutes he deserves? I don't know. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm bad vibes with Portugal, but it's just it's hard to it's hard to look past all of the things that Fernando Santos has done with this generation and think, oh yeah, this is this is going to be the time when he where he turns things around. You know, this is going to be the time. He said that he would have stepped down if he failed to qualify, but of course, Italy slipped against Macedonia. Portugal then beats Macedonia in the final of that playoff to advance to the World Cup. So it's more Fernando Santos, and I believe his contract goes until 2024. So he's going to be at Euro 2024 as well if Portugal has a good performance in this If they World get out Cup. of the group, he'll probably say. I believe so. If he goes out of the group, then I think that he would finally resign or Portugal would have come to some sort of agreement with him. Because I think, you know, a team that I mentioned in World Cup 2018 that where Portugal failed against Uruguay, I think that it's going to be the case again that Uruguay might just best Portugal um, based off of their qualification campaign, Filippo. I know that it sort of started a little bit slowly for them, but then they changed up their manager. Tabetas is finally gone. 15 they look years a little later, better. Adrian. 15 years. 50 years. He was there actually at the beginning. He started the Uruguayan Football Federation back in the early 1900s, I believe. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he was there when England even started association football. No, but... But in all honesty, he was in charge of the Uruguayan national team for sixteen. Oh, sorry, fifteen years. If he had stayed till the World Cup, it would have been sixteen. Crazy how long he's been there. Yeah. Uh, and going to Uruguay, I guess it's the perfect time to do the transition to Uruguay. What happened to them is the World Cup was at risk. Uh, they were seriously at risk of not qualifying, despite all the talent they have. And they had to fire Oscar Tabares and they signed Diego Alonso as their coach. That was the Inter-Miami coach not so long ago. And there were four games left and they won all four games under Diego Alonso to advance to the World Cup. And he qualified. And I'm not going to dive into it too much. I'm making a video breaking down Uruguay in details. But this is a team that can cause a lot of trouble as long as they can avoid Brazil in the round of 16. They can cause a lot of trouble in this World Cup because they're sort of built in a way to be an underdog, right? They they have a lot of verticality. There you go, Greg Berhalter's favorite word. They <laughs> they are very direct. That's essentially what I'm trying to say. I saw Diego Alonso play very often a 4-4-2. And then it's usually the defensive shape is a 4-4-2. Uh, that gives a little bit of some Diego Simeone vibes back in the day. <laughs> Uh, and then it shifts to a 3-5-2 when in possession with Ahascaeta drifting inside to playmake. Uh, they have a lot of good striker options, right? They have Cavani, Suarez, Darwin Nunes, which I, I, I think Darwin Nunes is a bit overhated. Overhated, not overrated. Um, mm. Definitely not as good as maybe people expected for Liverpool, but he could also get it going. He seems like he might be one of those players that he's a streaky player. When he goes on a streak, he's going to score every single game. And then he goes on, you know, these bizarre performances for Liverpool at times. And Uruguay's a tough team because there's also that aspect that goes a little bit outside of soccer, which is just the Uruguayan grit, right? 
this team just doesn't go down easily. Every game for them is a battle, a war. And I think it's something that's hard to analyze, right? When you're facing a team like that. How do you analyze that? You can't analyze that really with numbers, tactics, past results. It's a team that will fight to the last second. They will beat you down. And we saw that in 2010 too. Like Suarez will put his hand and save a goal. And they'll somehow advance um, after that PK, playing man down against Ghana. Um, that's Uruguay. And there's a lot of talent this team. And maybe the most talked about story right now in Uruguay would be maybe Fede Valverde that has become a world-class player in form. And when you go to a tournament like the World Cup and you have a team that knows how to play without the ball, has quality players, and you add on a player of that level right now, a player that can destabilize the opponent in one or two plays, uh, Fede Valverde is also very dangerous in transition, and Uruguay loves to play in transition. Uh, so they will use the best out of him. He he can play wide for them, sometimes in the right, and sometimes they'll play him in the central midfield. And then you have other players that can help out this team, like Betancourt from Tottenham, Ugarte that you might know from Sporting Lisbon. Uh, the yeah. defense is very solid, the defense with Jimenez. Um, Araujo from Barcelona might not be there due to injury, but there's a slight chance he could be. Um, Godin is a bit old, playing for Vélez Sarsfield right now, but still can bring veteran leadership. Uh, there, there's great players in this team, and I think they can cause a lot of trouble in this World Cup when you look at their roster, their coach, and the way they're set up. I agree, and they—I mean—they sound like they're a nightmare to play against. Defensive solidity, and then they can kill you in transition with good finishers and a lot of speed with someone like Fede Valverde, who, as you pointed out, has just been absolutely flying this season. It's crazy because he's always been good you know for the last couple of seasons he's sort of been simmering at Real Madrid and now he's fully boiling because he's added that finish to his game as well he's added sort of a sense around the goal and a finish from outside of the box so Uruguay is a team that I mean I you know spoiler alert I actually have them finishing first in this group because of all of the things that you mentioned especially if Darwin Nunez can find some form because like you said he is overhated he is one of those players you know I've seen plenty of him at Benfica and I've watched him at Liverpool as well I think that He's being judged overly harshly because, one, he's being compared to Erling Holland all the time because naturally, you know, one big signing goes to one contender, one big signing goes to, well, Liverpool isn't really a contender anymore this season. But prior to the season, they're the main rival of Manchester City. They also beat them this season. And so naturally, you're going to compare those two strikers. And Erling Holland is difficult to compare anyone to him at the moment because his output is just ridiculous. No one can keep up. But... Looking at Darwin, his goals record so far this season isn't that bad. I mean, he scored against Arsenal. He scored in the Champions League. He's been scoring relatively regularly for a new signing. And I think that if we can take his time at Benfica as anything to go off of, he is a confidence player. And you saw that his confidence was absolutely rattled following that red card against Crystal Palace. And it took him a while to get it back. But once he started playing with a little bit more confidence... He started to finish again. Yeah, I think West Ham, Ajax, etc. But Adrian, I think with Darwin, it's more because of he had he he's been doing fine in terms of numbers, right? You look at it; he played seven hundred and forty-three minutes, which is less than ten games. What's that? Yep. Eight to nine games. Um, he has seven goals and one assist. That's almost a goal contribution every ninety minutes. So yeah. It's, he's not doing bad. The problem is he's had some clumsy plays and some moments that looked a bit bizarre that he doesn't even look like a professional player at times. 
Yeah, right. So, and, and then people pick those moments and they're like, look at that. He's a donkey. He can't play. It's like, no, nah, that's not really what it yeah. is. But he's had these very bizarre moments. And I think that's what people pick him for. And the fact that he can't speak English. So at times he seems lost. Right. Um, yeah. I think once he gets his English better and can communicate and his confidence is up, because that's got to affect your confidence, too. You're in a country and you don't understand what anyone's saying. You're probably feeling a bit excluded at times. Um. I think he'll be fine, and he can be a big problem in the World Cup. He'll feel good with the Uruguayan side. He'll feel confident. He'll feel good. What One player that's not talked about enough in Uruguay is Dea Hascaeta from Flamengo because he doesn't play in Europe, so yeah. no one cares about him. But he's been probably the best player in South America for a while. Uh, well, I remember you saying that he's been like the best player in the Brazilian league for a while. For a while, and even the Libertadores. If not... He's been at least a top three player for a few seasons by now. He's extremely technical, a great creator. He can destabilize the opponent um, with the ball. Now, I do see why top Europe... The thing with him is he makes a lot of money playing for Flamengo. More than a lot of top five league teams can pay. Flamengo's super rich. Uh, definitely not more than he would make playing for Liverpool or Chelsea. But I can see why these clubs wouldn't sign him. A little bit of injury prone. He is a little bit injury prone at times. And maybe not enough work rate for what European sides want. Okay. But in terms of the ability he has on the ball, he is capable of playing for, I would say, Champions League teams. Not Champions League contenders, but like he could easily be like the best forward for maybe Benfica, creator, Porto, um, Olympique Marseille. Could play for Tottenham. Right. Uh, so he's a player that in the World Cup, I think many are going to see that from him. As long as he's healthy, he is a key player for this Uruguayan side. And he plays wide, drifts and plays the 10. And they'll see he's he gets the ball in tight spaces. He'll get out of it. He'll be a problem to deal with. But I think he's a little bit of a similar situation that some of the South American listeners might remember this player. Uh, they might remember Jorge Valdivia, El Mago, that played for Chile in their golden generation. And he was the 10 of that Chile's golden generation. And then many have wondered, why did Valdivia never really, you know, go to Europe and play for top teams? He definitely has the ability to it. I think it's a bit similar to Ahascaet. I think Ahascaet is a better player than Valdivia, if I'm being completely honest. Not by a lot, but a better player. But somewhat similar to that, that no one knew about Jorge Valdivia. And then he's playing against these big teams and they can't take the ball away from him. He's creative. Um, he'll be a player to watch out for, a Hascaeta from Uruguay, as long as he's healthy. I wonder if this will be the, the springboard to more European interest for him, because that's always the other aspect of the World Cup that people look for. Uh, it's, it's he's 28, sort of though. These yeah, like you said, maybe not a top, top, top team, but I mean, any teams that of sort of the Europa League level. They I might not be able to afford him, though. His salary is pretty damn high. It might be tough. Uh, I mean, would you, if you, if a club offers you the same salary, would you leave Rio de Janeiro to move to like England? <laughs> Definitely not England, but maybe Portugal. Yeah, Portugal would be a good one. If you can go to Benfica, Porto, li live near the beach or Lisbon, even though Sporting is not as rich as those two. Maybe Portugal or Spain. Those seem like good locations. Yeah. But let's uh, let's quickly look at maybe... Do you want to talk South Korea now? Yeah. The, this South Korean side is not looking too good. Uh, they didn't look that good in World Cup qualifying. You sort of 
we sort of talked about, I don't know if in this podcast, they finished behind Saudi Arabia, which that of behind Iran, I think actually, sorry, Iran. Yeah, you're right. Behind Iran, which is a team that most don't rate very highly already. And now Son for Tottenham got injured. I think based on what I saw, I'm no doctor and we're recording this November 2nd. So by the time people are listening to this, they might already have the news that he's fine and playing the World Cup. And I think he'll be playing the World Cup, but we don't know if he'll be 100%, if he'll be playing with a mask, if he'll be informed because he might not play any more club games for the next 20 days. And then outside of that, you got um, Min Jung King from uh, Napoli, the center back, good player. Yes. Um, Huang from Wolves, which is a good player. Uh, but but you look at their roster, yeah. it's a lot of players that play in, in Asia and South Korea. Then you have a few guys like Jong that plays for Freiburg, if I'm not mistaken, and the, guy, uh, the, the Huang that plays for, for Olympiacos, um, Kang Lee that plays for Mallorca. So they're not mm-hmm. world beaters, right? Outside of maybe... Jay King, uh, Min Jae Ki from Napoli and, and, and Son from Tottenham. All the other players are good or below average players. That is South Korea. I don't see them being that strong of a team. They're coached by Paulo Bento. You might be able to talk about him a little bit more, <laughs> Portuguese manager. Is he another one of those soccer terrorist Portuguese managers? That's a throwback, man. I haven't heard that name in a long time. Um to be completely honest with you, I had no idea that he was going to be there. But his his time with the Portuguese national team was not a great one. Paulo Bento. Um, yeah, I think that if you were to expect him to play in any sort of way, I think he would take up the school of Portugal, uh, you know, sit back, try and hit people in transition. But in losing Hyungmin Son, that is a massive, massive, massive loss. Like, you know, Huang Hee-chan, I believe he was at Leipzig before he went to Wolves. Yeah, he was in the um, Salzburg system, yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, the, RB, exactly. the RB system. RB system, exactly. So I think that he sort of had a good trajectory of teams, but he sort of fizzled out a little bit at Wolves. Um, so the loss of Son, which, by the way, that was a bizarre injury. It was sort of hard to get a... Was it his orbital? Was it his eye? Was it... Well, that's pretty close anyway. Was it a concussion? It was sort of a weird, worrying injury that he got. So hopefully he'll be back in time because a World Cup without him would be a sad thing. But yeah, they're a team that initially coming into this, I thought that they would cause a lot of issues. I can see them being difficult once again. This is something that you can say for all of the teams. I think that there isn't really... Like you alluded to at the beginning of this episode, there isn't really any teams that you can just sort of look at and go, ah... That's an easy dunk, you know? There's not really any of them besides maybe, I don't know, Tunisia. I know nothing about, but we'll we'll let someone else handle Tunisia. <laughs> yeah, that's not I mean, <laughs> a different group. We don't want to yeah. go here and pretend we know or been scouting or watching Tunisia. No offense to anyone that's no. Tunisian <laughs> listening to this. No, but I mean, and you could sort of say the same things about Ghana. I think that Ghana, it was sort of a surprise to some. You know, Ghana historically has been a very strong team, but I think that Ghana in this Group H with Portugal, Uruguay, and South Korea, I think it was a little bit of a surprise that they made it past Nigeria. It was seen more as a Nigerian failure in some respects than a huge uh, Ghana win. They, you know, I think they got through on away goals in that second leg, you know, tying 1-1. I don't know what to make of this this Ghana team. They are having a few players that are declaring for their side, like in Yaki Williams. There was rumors that Hudson Adoy might do the same, but I don't think that that's going to happen in the end. Uh, but Yaki Williams does absolutely add some firepower to that front line because he has been killing it. 
in La Liga this season. Yeah, they got Williams there. Um, Partey from Arsenal is part of the Ghana national team. They got Tarek Lamptey, which Lamptey, if you go back like three seasons ago, he was one of the, like, the top prospects, right, in England. And he's fallen off a bit. I don't even know if he's playing for Brighton at all this season. Um, Lamptey, after he got it, he had a season that he was injured for most of it. And ever since, I don't know what's up. Salizu, the center back from Southampton, is there. So on paper, they do have interesting players, Ghana. They look better on paper than South Korea. If I had to pick a team to surprise in this, to surprise anyone in this group, it would be Ghana. You also look at Kudos, the young player, the young attacking midfielder from Ajax. They have pieces that if, you know, Otto Ado, their coach, Otto Ado, that I don't know much, right? Um, if he can get them going, it's a team that could cause trouble. But but again, when you look at it on paper, they're quite behind um, Portugal and um, Uruguay but they look ahead of South Korea. They'll be my third seed for this group. There is there's something there. I think that's the best way to put it for Ghana. There's something there. I think so too. And, and the opening matches are Uruguay versus South Korea and Portugal versus Ghana. So we'll immediately sort of get a litmus test of what South Korea and Ghana are made of right off the bat. Um, and yeah, if... I don't know. I think... What what was your ranking for this group? I actually had Portugal in second, Uruguay in first. Well, if you do it on then... paper, Portugal's first, but my prediction is mm-hmm. the same as yours. I have Uruguay finishing first and avoiding Brazil because uh, yep. that, that's what Uruguay needs if they want to make a deep run. Uh, I can see Uruguay causing trouble to Brazil, but I can't see them knocking out Brazil in the round of 16. Not this Brazilian side. And Brazil kind of showed them that to them in the World Cup qualifying. Uh but I have Uruguay first, Portugal second, then I have Ghana in third, and I have South Korea finishing last with Son or without Son, regardless of him being there. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that that's fair. I think that there are reasons to be a little bit worried about Portugal in defense. However, one thing that I failed to mention about Portugal is that they have one of the best keepers I've seen for Portugal in a long time, and Diogo Costa, who plays for FC Porto. This man saved, what was it, three consecutive penalties in the Champions League? He's yeah. incredible. Yeah. He's he's great at distributing the ball as well. This is, you know, Rui Patricio was excellent in Euro 2016. Rui Patricio has been great for Portugal throughout the years, but I feel like Diogo Costa could be the next sort of best keeper. Vitor Bahia. Exactly. Since the good old Bahia days. Um, yeah. So I think that Portugal will be in safe hands there. Their back line, though, will Pep play? I don't know. Ruben Dias hasn't been the same Ruben Dias he was a couple of seasons ago. So I think that the back line, besides the fullbacks, I have no worries about the fullbacks, which Juan Cancelo, Mario Ruiz in very good form with Napoli. Nuno Mendes is an option. Nuno Mendes, he is coming back from an injury. So it's a question as to what sort of form he'll be in. Yeah, I think that I think the back line will be okay. It's just how, you know, Fernando Santos organizes this team as we've sort of been banging on about. But yeah, I think that Uruguay, I have them in first and then Portugal. And then I did have South Korea in third, but something tells me that Ghana might just take that third place. Not that third place means anything. This is just, you know, for the sake of discussing it, but Something tells me that Ghana might. There's like, like you were saying. there's definitely something there with this Ghana side. It's a matter of mm-hmm. how they get it going. You got to remember too. Some of these players are dual nationals that they got post qualifying to the World Cup, so yeah. we don't know how they'll gel together. How this team will look, though they could surprise or they could just be a major disappointment, and lose every game. Um, 
it's it's hard to predict for that reason. Um, and and again, them being in the World Cup itself was already a surprise to many. So, but I I think I'm going more based off the pieces they have rather than judging them as a team yet because I can't judge them as a team until I see it. And you told it we're going to see that right away in the first round. But Adrian, is that enough for Group H? I think that's enough, man. Yeah, I think that uh, as we sort of spelled out, f- the fight for first is integral in this group because if you don't get first, it's like I'm if you ain't first or last in this group, I think that exactly. <laughs> it's it's like an eighty to ninety percent chance that you're going to get Brazil in the in the first game of the knockout round. So the fight for first is absolutely integral in this group, and if you can avoid it, then you're likely playing either a Switzerland or a Serbia, which is not easy in itself, but certainly better than taking on Brazil. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see how this one plays out. All right, everyone, that does it for the preview of Group H. Hopefully by now, when you sit on your Thanksgiving table with your family here in the United States or whatever you celebrate in any country you are, you can pretend to be a soccer expert. You know everything about every single team. Okay, not everything, a little bit of everything about every single team. Don't forget that we're doing group previews for every single group of this World Cup. Go check it out. Hopefully some of them are out by now along with this one. Thank you very much for listening. Drop a review and bye-bye.